I'm Matt. Hey, I'm Steve. Hey, I'm John. This is the Sober Friends Podcast. We're here for the sober curious, the new guy, and the old timer. Here to talk about the stuff anyone looking to live alcohol-free has to face day to day and how we overcame those struggles. We speak for no 12-step group, but we do try to remain anonymous. You're not alone. This is the Sober Friends Podcast. Here's one for you, Steve. When I first got into recovery, one of those things that I always wanted to know that I didn't anticipate, how was my family going to react when I decided to get sober? More particularly, the time demands on getting sober. And that took a long time. It's different for everybody, right? I mean, I all it depends on what you're coming in from. You know, I have a perspective that's actually two perspectives because I came in once and I came in with two different relationships. So, and they were both very, very different. So that's very interesting because I think your kids were much younger the first time, yeah. much older the second time with a different wife. Right. In the, you know, the way I came in was different. You know, the, when I came in the first time, I was really, really beaten down, had gone through a fairly long stretch of really heavy alcoholic type drinking and was really just, just beaten down. And it was pretty obvious to everyone around me and in me even by that point that I had a problem. The second time when I relapsed, I, I, it did not, didn't last as long. I wasn't abusing alcohol in the volume that I was the first time. It was still very prob- problematic. There was no problem, no question about that. And I got back a lot sooner before, before damage was done, right? But very different dynamics there, very different dynamics. Yeah. Because, number one, my first wife knew I was drinking, maybe not so much, and she had seen the progress. And my second wife, my current wife, sort of married me in what she thought was some type of sobriety, you know, and didn't know I relapsed and all that stuff. So very different things, and, and you're right. It's still an issue today for me. Last week, all, all, every night I was out. Every night, five Monday through Friday, I was out for an AA function. And my wife, she notices that, you know, she notices that and she questions that. And I tell her, well, and she knows it's not typically like that. But last week it was. It was just one of those weeks. I remember when I first got sober and I hadn't anticipated this. So when I first got sober, I was like going to one meeting a week, then two, then three. I didn't do the 90 and 90. I kind of slowly ramped up probably over about a month or two month period of time. But when I hit my stride, it was five or six meetings a week, and I had a newborn, and a two-year-old, and an eight-year-old. Right. Yeah. I think the I think those were the ages. I had a uh, you know first time in. I had a five-year-old and uh, a two-year-old. So yeah, very very different times than when I came in the last time. So when I came in the next time, two thousand ten, my kids were twenty and seventeen. Right. Very different stuff. And plus they weren't living with me, right? They were both older. And so they weren't around for the whole thing. So very different. Very different. But to get back to your point, the time requirements, and again, this is all different for everybody, how much time you need, how many time, you know, how many meetings you're going to go to both times. I'll tell you this much, both times when I came in early on, it was easily four or five meetings a week for me easily because I needed to do, to do that. I needed to do that big time. Part of the time when I came in the second time, I needed to do it because I didn't want to be home. My wife didn't want me home. We were we weren't getting along really well. She was pretty disgusted with me relapsing and all that and all the problems. And it was just better for our relationship. It really was better that we'd be separated at work all day. She'd be at her job, I'd be at my job. And when I came home, I'd go out to a meeting. So we spent very little time together as I went through and 
did what I needed to do, which was partly, you know, we hear about it, doing a living amends, right? So I needed to earn some trust back and let her know. And she didn't care at that point. She didn't care if I was out every night. Now she does, right? Which is a nice problem to have. She'd rather have me around. But she understands that I have some obligations, and she certainly knows this This is one of them. She knows. But this is an easy one, right? I mean, this is, I just go down to, to the office, we do this, and then it's still early enough that I could spend time with her tonight. We're going to watch a show or something. So it's not that big of a deal. I remember my wife being not happy with me, and there were periods of time where she was tolerant, tolerant, pissed off, tolerant, tolerant, pissed off. And I was terrified of those periods of time. Also going on at the same time, she had not really gotten over her mother's passing. Right. She, her mother had passed a couple of years prior and she just never dealt with it. Right. So she had her own level of anxiety and yeah. issues. And I will tell you in conjunction, with my wife going into therapy for a little bit, finding some medication that fixed things pretty quickly. It was around that time, but I think it was coincidental. But before that, I mean, there were times that I went out to a meeting and I was terrified of how she would react by the time I got home. Terrified. Oh, there's no question about it. And again, you know, I guess I'll just separate it out because I really think this impacts me more now than it did the first time. When I came in the first time, I think my wife was so relieved that I was getting helped, right? So she didn't care, even though she had a young kid. You know, the truth is I helped out with my kids, but I think the first time in, my wife was used to, you know, we, we read about it. My wife was used to doing most of the stuff. Right, because I was not capable of doing them. I all you know, I would help out, I would do the best I could, and then I would go disappear and do my drinking. And once the kids were down, my kids were pretty much scheduled kids. So when I came in, all my early years of drinking, the first time in the in the early nineties, you know, my kids would be in bed at seven o'clock, whatever. I would have a reason to go to the basement. I was doing some computer work and stuff like that, and I'd have a reason to go down there and drink. And that's what I did. I talk about it all the time. You know, my, my idea of drinking was go to the basement and drink alone. And I would have a reason to do that. So my wife was, you know, my first wife was used to doing a lot of that work. And she was just grateful to have me back. Now, one of the problems was when I first came in is I didn't do meetings for that long, right? That was one of the things. So first three years, I probably did a bunch of meetings. And actually, by the time I got to year three, I was already slacking off on my meetings. So it was never a big problem. This time, right, now I'm 12 years into this round and I do meetings, right, which is has been helpful. And even my wife will say it's helpful. This time around, I've done, did five AA functions last week, right? Uh, 12 years in, almost 13 years in. That's the difference. And for me, that's the difference of the quality of my program. But it takes an impact, you know? It has an impact, especially if you're both working, right? You have young, ki you have young kids at home, right? Your life is busy, you know? I don't, right? you know, my kids are older right now. I'm older, so my wife's retired. I'm sort of semi-retired. So we have a lot of time during the day that, and this is the same thing we discuss all the time, is if my wife gets uncomfortable with me being out, I always tell her, listen, I'm home all day. If there's something you want to do, we can do it during the day where we couldn't do that earlier when we were both working and, you know, we were both out of the house for eight or nine hours during the day. I work from home now and so does my, for the most part, my wife works from home. She goes in for big meetings and stuff and she does some travel, but for the most part, we're both at home. When I was working in an office, there were times I would drive directly to a meeting yeah. from the office. So I'm not getting home until... Right. 8.30, 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock. Yeah, 
Yeah. That takes a toll. It, and like, it, get it. We always talk about it and you, and you need to do it. If you know, if you need to do it, if you need to do it, that's for sure. But you need to put in some time and that, that does take a toll on whoever's home on not only, you know, not only your wife, but your kids too. Your kids want your home typically. And just having mom around, it's, it's a stressful situation. I've done that many times. You know, I was in a, you know, I've talked about it. I was in a pretty high pressure, high, high pressure sales job that required me to work long hours, long hours. I always found it easier to do it in an office. That was before, again, this is before I had the room to have a home office. You know, if I worked from home in the past and that during that time, I was literally at the kitchen table working from home. Right. Whereas once my kids were out of the house and they weren't coming around and we had an extra bedroom, I was able to finally, you know, when I started to work from home regularly, set up an office in one of the extra bedrooms. So, you know, a lot of that time, I do the same thing. Like I often, I often went from work yeah, I'd leave for work at seven o'clock in the morning. My wife would be gone and not get home. My wife would, she was an early bed person. My wife would be in bed. And we wouldn't see each other. You know, she'd be in bed by the time I got home. Yeah, my wife would be in bed at times. Right. Eight, eight, if I got home at eight thirty, nine o'clock, absolutely my wife was in bed. I'm trying to remember how long that period of time was where there was a lot of home resistance to going to meetings. And I think it was two years, three years. Yeah, easily. But it felt like the longest damn two years ever. And it just felt like she's never going to go for this. I'm going to have to deal with this and I'm going to have to ride the wave and pick and choose meetings and ask for forgiveness, not permission for the rest of my life. And that was very stressful. It is very stressful. I've talked about on this podcast. If you listen to this podcast regularly, you will have heard me say several times that when I came into the pro- when I came back to the program this time, I wasn't sure that my marriage was going to make it. Right, I wasn't sure, and not all marriages make it. Even in recovery, right? This is the point. Even in recovery, not all marriages make it. Right. You know, one of the things we we read the family afterward in in the big book uh, last night. It talks. One of the parts I shared on was it talks about the cessation of. Drinking, stopping drinking is but the beginning of the, the the recovery period, right? It's the beginning. And that, I think, is a hard thing for a lot of people is they think, oh, I'm sober now. I'm not drinking now. I, I know it was for me. Again, if you listen to my story, if you know, I really thought when I came in the first time, okay, I stopped drinking. Everything's better which is why I stopped going to meetings because I actually thought like, oh, that's what I came here for. I came here to stop drinking. I stopped drinking. Let me go move, go on with my life. It was a big mistake for me, but it is just the beginning, and not every marriage will survive it. That's that's the truth because there's a lot of requirements for many of us, not for all of us, but for for many of us to be able to to find some. We talk about balance. Balance is a weird a weird word. Balance. You can't always have balance. Sometimes you need program, and sometimes that program has to be you know, in the forefront and sometimes you need family time. And some, so you got to work on that. In the beginning, there really is not much balance. No. You have, and, and this was part of my problem that got me in the situation. Anything I get involved in, I have to be the best at it. So if I was going to jump into AA, I was going to be the best new guy in AA ever. I was going to race through the steps as fast as possible and nail them like it was a test that I was going to have this completely figured out and I was going to be performing at an exceptional level as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. 
it doesn't quite work that way. But it forced me to uh, volunteer for service positions and doing extra things and going out to speaker meetings to see people and support them of doing all this extra stuff that if the phone rang, hey, you want to join us with something? Yeah, I said yes every single time. And there were times I just dropped everything and left. And it can sound like I'm pissing and moaning about, oh, boo-hoo me, I had a hard time here. No, it's not boo-hoo me. I got myself in the position of becoming an alcoholic and needing to treat it. And therefore, there are some things that happen that you have to finesse. And it's very understandable that a spouse or people in the house look to you and say, you know, why are you leaving? You shouldn't drink. You shouldn't overdrink. And it should just be that. You shouldn't act like a jerk and you shouldn't drink, period. It shouldn't, it should not require an investment of time for you to do that, which I agree with that, but that's not my reality. I never felt it. Listen, you came in. One of the things I've always admired about you is you did come in and you came in very strong into this program and you did a lot of stuff. Listen, you were, I just signed up to be a GSR. It's the first district level thing I've ever done. It just hasn't been something. Now you did. You were treasurer for for district, right? For how long? I was a tra- so I had a two year commitment. I think it was four years. Okay, right. But I so- was an alternate GSR. I think within my first year, I wasn't even a year sober. I was an alternate GSR right. that first year. Then I was a GSR. Yeah. And as soon as that ended, I became the treasurer. So you immediately got into some of that service stuff. I've always done meeting level, group level service stuff, done a lot of that, always cheered, always made coffee, all that kind of stuff. And I enjoy doing that. I enjoy being an impact on the groups that I belong to. One of the reasons why I've stayed away from some of that more district stuff is because I am drawn to that kind of stuff. And I was always afraid that if I got involved with there, I'd get involved with more and they would take me out of the house more, right? Because not only can you be, can I be a GSR, which is what I am now, then I could get on one of the committees, right? Which now is like, okay, it's a meeting a month. Then it's a meeting a month plus your committee meeting a month plus another meeting, you know? So next thing you know, now you're going to four meetings a month on top of your AA meetings. So I've been I've been reluctant to do that, but I did feel like I needed to do something. I needed to give back to this program that has given me so much. So this year I became a GSR. Maybe I'll do something in the future, but right now that's good enough for me. If there's one thing that's helped keep me sober and enhance my sobriety, it's the service work I've done. What's great, even at a local level, whether it's there's a lot of times I, I on the ride to the Monday night meeting, I piss and moan in my head that I got to run the Zoom meeting because last month I just chaired. Right. I think about it this way. I'm there to help other people. I go back and forth. I'm like, oh, why do I have to do this? I got to stand. I, I would, you know what? Once in a while, I would just like to go to the meeting and just sit and veg. Yeah. Tell me why about can't it. I just be a participant? Tell me about it. But I don't have that skill set. I have the skill set to do some of these things. I should be utilized that way to give back. I was just talking about it. Mike, French Mike, came over last night because it was a small meeting. And he says, oh, we should talk about Dave, Dave B. You know, maybe maybe doing his Joe and Charlie on a different night rather than Monday night because he seems to take a few guys from our meeting. And I said, well, Dave B is moving pretty soon, so we won't have that problem. <laughs> um, but I said, listen, I've been doing I've been doing the Zoom on that meeting for, for since the pandemic, three years. And, and, and God knows I'd, I'd love to go there some night and just sit back and be and do nothing. 
and do nothing. But I do realize we've talked about this before. Why you know we did it just what last week, week before? Mm-hmm. Why do we have meetings? Why do we have meetings? And I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little story that uh, I really helped me cement how this works for me. Is I there's a friend of ours, a friend of mine, and a and a, a person in AA who just recently passed away. Dick F's Spaghetti Dick. He went by. So just pause you for a second. One of the greatest things that you're missing out if you're not part of a 12-step group are these ridiculous names people have right. in yeah, recovery. No, that's right. Like spaghetti, spaghetti, spaghetti dick. dick. Spaghetti dick. And it's because he loved to cook spaghetti. So nothing else. If your mind was going elsewhere, forget about it. He loved to cook spaghetti. So anyway, Dick was uh, had some, he was an older gentleman in his mid-70s. Um, he just recently passed. He passed Sunday night. And... Um, and he lived in Colchester, and he always had to get, since I knew him pretty much, he needed a ride to the meetings. And there was always somebody else picking him up. And I remember one day saying to him, and I like to be helpful, but sometimes it's ego, saying, hey, Dick, if you ever need a ride, I'll be happy to help you out. So he, he one day he reached out to me for a ride, and I picked him up. And long story short, I became his ride. Now, Colchester is about a 25-minute ride <laughs> for me in the opposite direction of any meeting we'd be going to. So if I picked him up for our Friday night meeting, which is the meeting I typically took him to, I would have to leave my house just around 6 o'clock so I could pick him up get to the meeting sometime just after 7 for a 7.30 meeting. And so it'd be 6 o'clock to about 10 o'clock for me. And I did that for a while. And when I realized I was becoming his only ride to the meeting, I had a huge resentment. I was so pissed off, so pissed off. And it took me a couple weeks, but I finally realized that I could use it as like a service, like be grateful that I could do this for him. And Dick and I developed an incredible relationship, right? Number one is we had this time. You know, we had a 40-minute drive to and a 40-minute drive home every week almost. And and we developed this great friendship. And it became a pleasure, you know? It turned into something that was a resentment and turned into a pleasure. And I I used to love to go pick up Dick and take him. Then he moved to another town and... um, it was still about 25 minutes away from me, but it was actually closer to our meeting, so it was a little bit easier to do. Yeah, his health went downhill, and you know I was lucky enough. I've had some chances to go see him in the last month, spend some time with him. Matter of fact, I was in. I went to see him uh, maybe about 10 days or two weeks ago, and I knew he wasn't doing well. And I walked in there, and I thought he might not be communicative. And I was talking with his son, who's also a friend. I he. Dick used to always say, hey, I'm checking in to see what condition my condition is in, which is a take on a Rolling Stones, right? And uh, so I walked up to him, and he was laying in bed, and I just whispered in his ear. I'm like, hey, Dick, I'm here to check in and see what condition my condition was in. And I got a big smile out of him and a laugh, and I'm like, oh, he's he's doing better. So it was just really, really nice, sad passing. But my point with that whole thing is that I could take something that seems to be a burden and turn it into right. a positive thing. You have, now that he's gone, I would look at it as you had this alone time with this person mm-hmm. that you had the sole focus of another human being once a week who depended on you for a long period of time. Yeah. And that's one of those moments that could seem pissy in the moment. And you look back and say, that was a gift yeah. that I had the opportunity to connect with another human being right. at another level because we had no choice otherwise. 
You know, again, and I, you know, I watched this go through. It went from the point where Dick couldn't drive. He had some eyesight problems and physical problems, back problems. But I went from Dick not just being able to drive because of some eye problems to um, needing a wheelchair to get to his meetings, right? So, and um, and there was another guy who would get him on occasion, I think, as much as he could and get him out to a different meeting. But it was just, listen, it, it turned out, again, once I got rid of that resentment and I sort of figured out, what life is all about. I just realized like, yeah, it was this beautiful connection I made with another human being. I'll always remember Dick. I mean, it's something I always remember, right? We always talk about it. Um, on our deathbed, we're never going to say, oh, I should have spent more time in the office, right? Right. I'm going to say, oh yeah, you know, I'm going to think about the friends I've had and Dick is going to be one of those guys. Dick was a Vietnam vet, all these things, right? Great conversations with him. You know, loved music. We talk about music, talk about sports, Political opposites, right? <laughs> Political opposites. We, we recognized early on that politics was probably something we weren't going to talk about, but we were able to have our friendship and everything else. It can be very easy for the family to look at those moments of, oh, you care more about somebody like Dick than you yeah. do about me, that you choose to leave the home and go do that. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're, you're at a drop of a hat. You're going off to a meeting. It's Saturday night. I thought we were going to watch a movie together. That's happened many times with me. You know, my, my wife's a great calendar uh, worker. She, she puts everything, every appointment she has, she puts on a calendar. I'm a horrible calendar user. And it just still, I just, you know, I try, I do the best I can. I won't even say I do the best I can. I do what I can. There has been plenty of times that something will happen and I'll say, oh, I got to go out to this meeting tonight and she'll say, it's not on the calendar. And I'm like, nope, you're right. And it'll piss her off because she's thinking I'm going to be home. So there's always those type of things. You know, I realized long ago that the most important thing for me is to keep my program going, to stay sober. You said it perfectly. If I need to, I, you know, I'm going to ask for forgiveness more than permission, usually. So there's times where I ask for permission, but most of the times I'm going to be asking for forgiveness. I will tell you what helped get us over the hump is we had a heart to heart and she had a therapist who told her that if I was still going to as many meetings as I did at the time, that I must be a dry drunk and I shouldn't need to go. And she cited a couple other people we know who were spotty in their meeting attendance. And I knew the level of sobriety that they're at. And I'm like, D please do not use those people as an example. Okay. Because if I'm at the level of sobriety that I see, that's not a good thing. She wanted me to go see a therapist, but it had to be somebody who specialized in the 12 steps. So I agreed to do that. And some of those things where I was a little give and take helped. And I think also seeing that there are results. We're really not at that place anymore that there are times now that she will tell me, I think you should go to a meeting or I'll say sometimes right. I really don't want to go. Yeah, you should go. Yeah. This is your night. I already planned for you to be gone. Right. You should go. Absolutely. And my, my wife has said the same thing. If I, if like something came up, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to go or, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do this or I don't have to pick up this person. A lot of times she'll say, well, I've already had plans anyway. Right. I made plans. A lot of times my wife will make plans with friends if she knows they're going to like, I've been going out to this Friday night meeting since I got sober. So Friday night has always been the night that th my wife makes plans with her friends. They would always get together. They go out to dinner. They'd love to play Scrabble. They do that kind of stuff. So, and if I didn't have a meeting for whatever reason on Friday night, church wasn't available. She still went out. She's like, no, it's my night out. And I would typically just find another place to go. But I want to, one thing we glossed over and I just want to touch base on it is you said we were talking a little bit about balance, right? 
you said it that early in a program, early in somebody's recovery, there's not a lot of balance, right? Nope. And there shouldn't be. And I've I've told this that to many of many of the guys who I've worked with, whether I've been their sponsor, or just talked to them, is like now is not the time to have balance. Now is the time to really cement a program for yourself and to cement, try to figure out what meetings work for you, what people work for you. Like really take that time early when you come in to find out what do you need, you know? I always tell people you need to find your meetings and you need to find your people. I think you did that early on and I know I did that early on. And once I found those meetings and typically for me they're the same like I go to meetings because there's people there that I like you know we talk about Joe and Charlie you know we're doing a Joe and Charlie I'm doing that Joe and Charlie this year this year because of the people more than the Joe and Charlie right right it's like the people there are the are the what is what attracts me to that I tell that all the time balance is not something you need early it, Later on, you could talk about it, but early on, not at all. This is the principle. If you put the work in up front, you don't have to do as much work on the back end. It's that case in anything. You start a new job, put everything in to learn as much as you can up front, get to know as many people in the organization so it's easier on the back end. It's like that with gardening, weightlifting, whatever. If you put that effort into your recovery program in the beginning that you dive in, When it's uncomfortable, it's a lot easier down the road. If you just dip your toe in, those are the people I have seen that relapse or don't make it or don't come back again. Well, they struggle with the quality of their sobriety, right? We talked about it. It's not always relapsing. It's always, but you struggle with the quality. And we know lots of people out there who struggle with the quality of their program. Listen, everybody to do I don't want to take other people's inventory and I don't want to tell them, I, I, even sponsees, I'm, I'm not the kind, mm-hmm. I am not the kind of sponsor that I tell them like, you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to go to this many meetings. I, I do not tell them that. First of all, and partly that's because my sponsor never told me that. That's the way I came in. Everybody's got to figure it out for themselves. And if you want quality sobriety, then you, you need to... Do whatever it is for you that's going to get you quality sobriety. And if that's five meetings a week, then that's what it is, you know. And if that's a 90 and 90, then that's what it is. I never did a 90 and 90 myself either time I came in. I went to plenty of meetings. I went to plenty of meetings. And truthfully, I may have done a 90 and 90, but I never never kept track of it. It wasn't a goal of mine to do 90 and 90. So I did a meeting when I needed to do a meeting. I still do meetings when I need, like when I'm feeling uncomfortable, when I'm messed up, when I'm pissed off, when I'm angry at the world, I know I need a meeting. So I go out to a meeting. And, um, and, if, I, and, and if I say that to my wife, hey, listen, I'm feeling really uncomfortable. I'm pretty pissed off or whatever. She's going to say, fine, go. Go get, go get your medicine, man. I don't want you around like that. We had somebody last night who brought a six-month-old. Yeah. I thought that was great. Yeah. I used that as an excuse, brought the six-month-old, and we were, I think, as responsible as possible to say, if you got to do this again, bring the baby. Oh, absolutely. If you need somebody to hold the baby, let us know. He and I text almost every morning, and he'll, he sent me a text today. Hey, you know, have have a great day. Enjoy your day. And I, I text him back, hey, thanks for bringing, the, thanks for bringing the, the, your daughter in. I love seeing her. Even though when I picked her up and I held her, she started screaming. It's only time. <laughs> She's quiet until you got a hold of her. Right. Yeah, she was. 
But no, I'm happy. And I heard him say, you know, I heard him talking to his sponsor there, and he's I, he's talking about how, listen, he's got a six month old. He's been going to school. I know this fellow, right? He's been going to school. Yeah. He's been working. It's really, really hard. And I heard him talking to his sponsor about trying to figure out, like, hey, how do I do this? How do I, how do I keep my program going? How do I make this happen? And you know how you make it happen? You bring your daughter to the meeting. If you, you know, this meeting happens to be one, he can do that. Bring her to the meeting. He had to step out, but at least he's there. He shared, right? He shared at the meeting. Even if he doesn't get the whole thing out of it, he's there. He's trying. He'll get something out of it. The key, I think, as well, is plan things out. If you're in a situation where it's busy and all hell is breaking loose, and this is hard sometimes for me to do, although I'm easier to do this at work, just sit down one night and look at your calendar and plan. If you got to plan out two weeks in advance, here are the nights I can go. Here are the nights I can't. Here's why. And do it that way. Cause, and, and because if you sit there and look at your calendar, you might find that you have a little bit more time than you thought you did. I always think there's time for meetings. I really do. I, I definitely think there's time to squeeze them in. And it's typically what I have found for me. I think I hear this from most people. It's an excuse many times. Oh, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. And Listen, the old timers, the old timers will tell you that that's just that's just an excuse of not wanting to go to a meeting. You know, um, that's just bullshit. Get your ass to the meeting that we all have time. And that's not having your priorities. Right. And that's the other thing, not having your priorities. And if, you, if people start telling you, I don't have time to go to a meeting, then that just means that their program is less important than other things in their lives. One of the things that I do is I have a bunch of meetings that I like to go to that I don't go to regularly, right? Thursday night, the Thursday night men's group. I love to go. I know more than half the guys that go to that meeting. So I know that when I have an opportunity, sometimes my wife will come home and say, hey, I'm going out with my friend on Thursday night instead of Friday this week. I use that as an opportunity many times. Like, oh, I could go see the Thursday night guys, right? And you know what's beautiful about that meeting is that is a meeting that uh, it's not one of my groups is I could go there and do nothing. You know, yep. it's, it's the sweet part of me going to that meeting. I don't have to cheer. I don't have to do anything. If there's a business meeting, I don't have to stay for it. I just go there. I say hi to my friends. Maybe I share if I like the subject. Maybe I don't. Um, at the end of the meeting, I go home. And it's nice. It's nice because I don't have any other ob- any other obligations at that meeting. Yeah, that is nice sometimes to just yeah. go in and yep. not not have to do all those things, but it's helpful. Right. I'll, I'll say one last thing about this, that if you're looking for that currency to get your family off your back, here's one of these things. If you put in some work and you start showing results, you might get some more support. Yeah. The better you get, the faster you get, and you can tie it back to what you're doing, you probably will get a little bit more leeway if you can show the investment. Yeah, I agree. So if you're in this position, you're not alone. If you're brand new and you're going to meetings or however you're addressing your recovery and you're getting crap from the family, this happens to all of us. And it might go away in three months. It may go away in three years. It may take time. But you got to find a way to do it. You got to communicate. You got to plan and get the results. The better you get, the faster you get. Human nature shows that other people will then be supportive. Now you can get to the point where the two of us are, and John as well, where we have spouses that'll say, You should go. The way we're behaving tells them, yeah. You need to get out of this house and you need to go to a meeting. 
I will tell you, that pisses me off more than anything else. Yeah. yeah. That is not something I want to hear. It used to piss me off, and nowadays it's a, it's a red flag to me. Like, if, if my wife's picking up on it before I am, then it's like, that means I'm ignoring it, typically, because it means I'm not behaving the way I should behave, so... But it's it is good. It is good to know that you have somebody who will tell you, "Hey, listen, looks like you're slipping." My wife will say, "Looks like you're slipping a little bit." She'll actually use those words. You know, you're a little bit more angry. I think you, you know, you may need to look at some things today. I can say to her, "I, I just shared this the other night." Today, I just shared this Friday. She said, "She said that to me," and I said, "You know something? You're right. I would have fought. There would have been fighting words for me in the past. Nowadays, I can say you're right. I need to pay attention to that. You know, so all progress." progress well you all have been giving us a lot more feedback starting to come in more we get emails from you we get messages on instagram we read every single one of uh, one of them and if we can respond in a way that's going to help you we're going to do that we love this feedback i'd love to hear your stories on how you handled first getting sober how it affected your recovery so we'd love to hear your feedback on on how this went for you early on what your advice is you can reach out to us at soberfriendspod.com instagram at soberfriendspod it's been a while since you gave us a review on apple podcasts we love that feedback give us a five-star review if you think we deserve it and if you like the podcast share it with somebody it would help as well it helps us spread the message that you're not alone and that recovery is possible Steve, thanks for a great show tonight. Yeah, Matt, thanks for uh, thanks for having this, and uh, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thank you, and we'll see everybody next week. Bye, everybody. You made it this far into the podcast. That tells me you're a pretty big fan. If you like what we do and you find value in the podcast. Consider a donation at buymeacoffee.com backslash soberfriendspod. Your donation keeps us on the air to help out the new guy and helps us defray some of our costs. If you find value in our podcast, please consider a donation at buymeacoffee.com slash soberfriendspod.